Hey parents, whether you're going back to school or learning from home, the Preschool Box is here to help. The Preschool Box is all about helping children unlock their potential by making learning fun. Each month, the Preschool Box will send you a box packed full of engaging and educational activities with a focus on reading and math skills that will prepare your little one for success in school. It's amazing! These monthly work-at-your-own-pace activities encourage learning, reading, and creativity in kiddos aged 3 to 6, and each box has an array of hands-on activities, crafts, and worksheets, which you can structure to match your child's pace and level of development. And the best part is that every box has a set of focus skills, so each month you get new and exciting material to work on. The work you do at home now with your kids is so important for their future. Let the Preschool Box help you and your child have fun learning together. Head over right now to thepreschoolbox.com and use code PARENTDRIVEN to get $5 off your first Preschool Box. Hello and welcome to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. I'm Chris and I'm here with my friend Jess. Hey, I'm Jess and I'm here with my friend Arit. Hi, I'm Arit and I'm here with my friend Allison. Hi, I'm Allison. I'm here with my friend, Kay Wu. Hello, I'm Kay Wu, and today we are joined by our guest, Brandon. Brandon Hayes is a dad and engineering leader based in Austin, Texas. His professional mission is to help the tech industry improve by organizing people to accomplish things together in environments that recognize and support their humanness. His personal mission is to survive parenthood until the kids are in college. Welcome, Brandon. Hi, thank you. I really identify with your goal of surviving parenthood. <laughs> yeah, this year in particular. It's new territory. Yes, and so today we are talking about COVID, one of our favorite topics to talk about on this podcast, and how COVID has refocused and completely messed up co-parenting routines. So, Brandon, I'm curious how uh, I feel like maybe we could start with refocused and then we'll move to completely messed up. So how do you feel like it's refocused your co-parenting routine? Well, so I I guess it's worth kind of rewinding a little bit and talking about like co-parenting as a concept. I don't know that it's something that I'd really thought through a ton until the last few years. And my kids are seven and one's turning 12 today, actually. And we had sort of settled into traditional gender roles in a lot of ways where my wife had desired to stay at home, even though she was actually at one point the primary breadwinner. And so we we kind of inverted our roles and we had a, a once we had kids, she decided that's what she wanted to do. And I gave myself, I guess, a lot of permission because I work long hours and I work in the tech industry and I was, you know, trying, I was trying to actually become a software developer. And so I was putting a ton of work in, going to meetups and, you know, learning and studying on my own time and trying to break into this industry. And in doing so, kind of recalibrated my family's expectations of what my role was as a dad. And so, you know, I would study until like one in the morning and take, you know, first, first shift after the baby goes to sleep. And then switch to second shift. This is all about 10 years ago when we had a, a really little one around. And through the process of doing that, kind of established my role as a parent as what a lot of people traditionally think of as a working father who, you know, commuted to an office every day and then would 
work for eight to 10 hours and have a sometimes an hour long commute each way and come in late for, you know, dinner has already not only been made and had and cleaned up at best, I might be able to handle the dishes or something like that. And then often home, even up to a few years ago, a couple of years ago, come home after the kids are already in bed. And so the idea of co-parenting is kind of kind of a new thing to me and something I felt drawn to, which was start why I started looking more toward, all right, what are my options in terms of remote work? And as a as a manager, that's a difficult thing to address. I think a lot of managers find that concept well probably before this year, probably found that concept intimidating. But I, I talked to some friends that were doing that and it seemed interesting to me and I thought I would I would like to take a swing at it. And at that point started establishing a new set of routines about what it means to be a participant in my kids' lives and not just a person that is home on the weekends. And looking back now, it feels a little bit embarrassing how easy it was for me to slide into that role where my wife did 90% of the heavy lifting. I'm at the office. I'm not there to field calls. I'm not there to, you know, handle things with school or take the kid to lunch they forgot or, you know, get the kid, pick them up when they're sick and take them to their dentist appointments. And so there's so much in the act of parenting that I allowed to be invisible to myself. So I just, so I want to point out first and foremost, how foreign the concept of co-parenting was to me for so long. And so it was really remote work that revealed co-parenting to me as a concept because you don't have the ability. It's not invisible to you anymore. You don't get to pretend like it doesn't exist, that, 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 that role and those responsibilities aren't handled. It's not magic. Somebody's, you know, putting work in there. And I think I'm okay admitting that it's still, you know, I'm still embarrassed about it, but I'm, I can sort of point out that that's something that was an area that I needed to grow in. And I think COVID is specifically, I mean, think about how many people have been put into that position at the same time that the stakes as a parent went up a ton. So without just even set aside the COVID, COVID thing for a moment, the fact that it puts so many people into a remote work situation where we were sort of forced to confront the amount of work it takes to especially if you've had traditionally had other people handling it and or you've had this concept of like one person is the primary caregiver. That's one thing. It's just visibility. I don't know what other people's experience of that has been, but it certainly for me instantly raised the visibility of a lot of the stuff I'd taken for granted. Do you feel like, you know, going into remote work obviously got you like really adjusted for this whole pandemic happening, or at least, I mean, as adjusted as one can be when a pandemic happens. But the point is, you're, you're saying that, you know, you had that sort of awareness where you figured out the, the roles that you were playing and wanted to be more involved and whatnot. Is there anything about the pandemic starting, especially that really made it even more obvious? Like how, what was the transition like where you had this awareness and more involvement and now the pandemic happened and like, what was even more glaring that you didn't even see before when you started remote working? That That's a great question because re- I actually remember it very clearly. It was a very clear, you know, the pandemic hitting was not a gradual thing. It was something that I think most of us in America ignored until like, was it March 13th? You know, like I could yeah. date it. Yeah. March 13th, like shit hit the fan. My kids weren't welcome to go back to school after spring break. And our town started turning the lights out on a lot of things here in Austin. And suddenly you're forced to confront, oh, we, I, like anything that you took for granted isn't possible to take for granted anymore. So what are we doing now? And it was a very short amount of time. So uh, like my company that I work at immediately started shutting their offices down. And 
and half of our company is remote, half isn't. And so I'm in the half and all of my team were remote. And so it, it didn't directly impact us at that moment, but it was clear that things were changing radically very quickly. And I think within a week, I realized I can no longer sustain what I was trying to do before because I am trying to send my kids to school at home. And nobody has any idea what that means, what it looks like. The technology aspect of that is enormously frustrating. We're, you know, using, using tools that are built by people that I know. And I'm, you know, so I'm not going to trash them, but they are, you know, they have become a part of the bureaucracy that makes it very difficult. So they're, you know, clearly software that's designed for NGOs. And so suddenly I am an educator in my home and. That wasn't something I ever planned to sign up for. We were, you know, we were on track to, to do home education and, and homeschooling of any kind. We always swore it was something we would never do. So all of a sudden, I'm now confronted with the reality that my spouse cannot handle the volume of responsibility that has now been also shoved into the pipeline for what it is to parent. And suddenly, the volume of work necessary to do this is too much for any human being. And frankly, was unrealistic in the first place for any family. So what we did was immediately, I adjusted my schedule at work. And I'm super grateful I had that option available to me. And I said, hey, listen, I just don't know. I don't know how to make this work. But my schedule is no longer nine to five or nine to six or whatever. My schedule is now 11 to five. And that's the best I can offer. And it might not be that much, but we're going to try this. But until 11 every morning, I'm an educator first and foremost. So I'm, I'm making sure to be involved in their education. And I think that's the thing that changed the most for me was suddenly becoming so deeply involved in the education of my kids changed my relationship to what it is to be a parent in general. And I, I'm not even trying to expound on that right now, other than I just feel it so deeply that when you're now taking on that sizable a role in your child's future and something that you've delegated to, you know, to the previously to the government, I guess that is a really wild swing and something that I realized, like, of course, I wouldn't ask my wife to do that without me. Like, no, no, no mortal. Like, I don't know what I would do. And I, I know single parents and I admire them. And I think they're, you know, like, I think it takes superhuman skills to hold that together. But I knew that I couldn't stand by and let my spouse try to do the, all this stuff on her own when I'm here and I have that flexibility. So I started asking for flexibility in places that I might not have assumed it was there before. That's probably the biggest thing was just asking for help, asking for grace. That's really fascinating and really resonant with me. I think in a lot of ways, especially educating my five-year-old right now, it's been, whew, yeah, teachers don't get paid nearly enough. <laughs> the thing I'm really interested in, Brandon, is, um, so I'm a divorced parent and that sort of necessarily forced me and my ex to hammer out an agreement. But I'm curious about how you and your partner have worked out sort of your lines of responsibility and sort of come to some sort of hopefully working agreement? Yeah, that's a, a another really awesome question because I'm curious how other people are doing this, honestly. It it goes from being something when you're on a path that feels samey, you can have those agreements be sort of tacit. And, and then a disruptive event occurs. You know, it could be COVID. It could be a divorce. It could be all kinds of things. It could be a change in health. It could be a change in employment. We've had pretty much pretty close to the whole rainbow variety of, of disruptive events over the last couple decades. And it forces you to re-reckon with some things that you might have taken for granted. And I'm a big fan of clear contracts in general. And I don't think relationships, I don't, you know, I don't think relationships should be transactional, 
But I do think that there are contracts in a relationship that need to be surfaced because otherwise you just take it for granted. And so it became, it wasn't so much as an agreement that we drew up, but it was like, okay, I'll take this. If you take this, okay, you take this. And it was more a sense of, look, neither of us are going to be able to handle all of this. So what can, what can I take? And so for me, it was, I am off duty work-wise until 11 in the morning and, and you go do your, you know, my spouse likes to work out. She, she likes to run. So she'll go do her, you know, the closest thing we can get to self-care right now. And then I will take the morning of education and then she'll take the afternoon. And then there was just, but the total amount of time we were doing this was maybe four hours a day at the time. We'll cover later, like that broke when school arrangements changed and we're having to reconfigure some stuff around that. But it was really clean at first where it was, I'll take this two hour stretch. You take this two hour stretch. I'll go to work. I'll get off. And then we alternate who cooks dinner every night and who who cleans up after. And the other thing we did was we had family clean day where every Saturday we would spend two or three hours going through the house and tidying everything up and scrubbing toilets. And that's not something I ever enjoyed doing. Um, you know, these are chores that I think we had felt okay delegating or hiring out or whatever. And suddenly these are things that need to be taken care of. And so from education to caring for our home and even coming up with activities to do like, Hey, what are we doing? If we can't go out and we can't do the things that we've done as default, who's going to exercise some creativity. And I don't think anybody wants to do that. If you've had a long day working and you get done working and you're mentally and emotionally exhausted. I think that's a part of the responsibility you can bear is exercising creativity about what activities we can do and when and planning those things. All of those things came to the forefront. And so I wish I could say it was it was clear, but it was just obvious at moments in time that there were like burdens that we would just surface and talk to each other about. Hey, what's you know, what's your burden right now? What are you carrying around that's that feels too heavy and asking each other those types of questions? Yeah, I, I think for us, one thing that's been really interesting is also recognizing where we're each strong as as parents. And so like, so for example, I, um, I was always the one who would like, you know, throw the kids in a stroller, walk to the metro, go to a museum, you know, and so, so I'd give my partner hours, you know, on the weekend or whatever, because 10 a.m. out of the house, go to museum, you know, snack on the way home, blah, blah, blah. And that is my strength as a parent to be like, I can just like, I can deal with whatever happens on the metro, I can deal with whatever happens in the museum, but I am the one who sort of like takes the kids to a place to do a thing. Whereas for my husband, a lot of times, like the idea of like getting everyone ready and getting and like going and doing like it, it's stressful for like, it's not fun for him. But he is the one that can just like, I don't know, like hang out at the park for hours or something. And so we joke a little bit how like, COVID really like plays to his like strengths as a like as, as a as a parent and as you know as co-parent but that's also been really interesting for us in terms of figuring out like what our what our co-parenting looks like because you know we have to figure out like and be comfortable with how each other co-parents right so yeah like I fully admit that like I can only take the children for nature walks so many times before it's just like I'm just like no I just can't do it anymore and you know we've both had to sort of push outside of our comfort zones a little bit in terms of co-parenting and being like okay what like 
what do you need? What do I need? But I think it's also been that recognition of just like, essentially, like, what is your parenting style? And how can you maintain that style? Or like, what needs to change a little bit about that style in these times in terms of co-parenting and, and what the kids need and what the other person needs and what you need and all of those different factors. That makes a lot of sense to me, because I'll confess, we we have literally had conversations over the evenings where I'm where I'm just like, I just, you know, I've been been breastfeeding over a year now. The kids just like, I guess because like I'm softer, they really enjoy climbing on me. <laughs> My three year old actually said that the other day. He's just like, why is, you know, Mama, you're just so soft. Like, okay, thanks. So yeah, it's true. But I, I just told my husband, like, I just, you know, we have, we have all this stuff to get done. And right now, please take the kids because I would rather do all the household chores that are currently outstanding just to get some physical space, even if it isn't, it, you know, it's, it is, as you said, the, the minimal self care that I can get is, is, it's not chore free, but it's at least like reducing the, the touching and the, talking and the noise for like a little bit of time if I'm doing the dishes or whatever else needs to be right then. So sometimes I feel like the the, the negotiation, it's, it's, it's an open conversation. There's back and forth of figuring out what what's the best way to meet everyone's needs as much as we can at this moment in terms of that contract. But I also feel for me that oftentimes if we've gone off kilter a little bit, it's because I'm missing that sense of like, that we are a team together. Like one of the things that really struck me becoming a parent in the first place was the realization that my husband and I, we had never, we had never like worked together on a project of any kind, really, you know, maybe, maybe planning our wedding or something like that. But even then it was, it was more like me taking the lead on this. And then, you know, you're thrust into parenthood and the, the raising of these children is possibly the most important thing that we as individuals specifically might might do and so the stakes are high and we have to work together and that was a bit of an adjustment but I think when we got to the point of it's not defaulting to anyone in terms of who's making the decisions it's like a thing we do together it is both of our responsibilities to find good solutions that makes things a lot easier for the for the talking about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm actually at my ex's house right now, <laughs> working out some kid logistics. Um, I'm like living in Baltimore in the basement, <laughs> Monday through Friday. And that sort of team mentality, I think it it's really important. I think it's how we've been able to co-parent successfully, even through all this has been like, you know, we both love our kid and we both, you know, kind of want the best. and so. It's amazing how that, that perspective, I think, can kind of cut through anything else that might have gotten in the way. <laughs> and I think it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. So I'm curious, at the beginning, we talked about, okay, ways that COVID has sort of refocused and then also ways that it's messed up co-parenting routines. And Brendan, we were talking, we were talking a little bit about refocusing. Are there ways or other ways that we feel like it's just completely like messed things up? Yeah, I think the reason that I was kind of thinking about this in the roller coaster sense is it, there are so many things I've learned about myself and my relationship through this process. And I really, I really like Kewu's comment and Jess's as well that one of the ways that refocused us is very similar in that it taught us that we're a team. 
And we had already had a little bit of that sense, but not just, I mean, I think maybe that's how you would summarize it is, oh my gosh, we're a team. And not only are we a team, we're actually a really good team. And it's really fun. Like if you're at work, it's fun to work with super competent people that are good at their jobs. And it's really fun to co-parent with another parent that's good at what they do. And you don't always agree and you don't always, you know, you're going to disagree. But that experience of co-parenting with somebody who's good at it and learns with you and grows with you and you, you pull it, push and pull each other and grow each other. That's really rewarding. And not to say, I, I hope this is the last pandemic I parent through. I really do. This really sucks in a lot of ways. And one of the things as it's dragged on has the same things that that it taught us weren't necessarily sustainable because some of them came out of the novelty of, oh, I can, I can be a participant in my kid's education. That's wonderful. Well, okay, here we are at month nine or whatever, like in decade three or wherever we are. At this point, a lot of pe- people's patience has run out. And in the running out of patience, a lot of the grace that existed in the beginning period is gone. And that means institutions as well. So our workplaces are like, hey, I know that the pandemic is still happening, but we really need you here. And, you know, as gracious as they can be, they still exist and they still, you know, you still have a job to do. And schools are like, hey, I know we we had a lot of grace in the beginning and now we need your kids to turn their homework in on time. And we need them to show up for eight hours a day of virtual schooling of some kind. And so all of those things collectively broke a lot of the arrangements we made earlier during the pandemic where, you know, that morning arrangement we made doesn't work when my kids are in school and not for four hours of intense learning a day, but for eight hours a day. And because not only do I not have the ability to double the amount of time I take away from work, work has actually become kind of crept up in its in its demands on my time again. And so it's really easy to drop or forget or let go of some of those things that I've loved about what what we were learning about our family in the early phases of this. It's been hard to sustain a lot of that stuff. And so I don't really have an answer for that right now. I'm in the process of trying to learn how to address the fact that okay, we may have another you know, it could be another 9 months of this. How do how do we do this sustainably? How do we Take the lessons that we learned at the early stages of this and apply them consistently when the demands of the world around us seem to be creeping back into normal range, but the support system around us hasn't crept into normal range. It's, if anything, it's gotten a little bit worse. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like, I feel like at the beginning, we sort of figured out, like, we figured a bunch of things out and we had, you know, like, we like fell into routine and then coming into the fall, you know, like just, yeah, like things were sort of, things constantly changed, I would say, through through the month of August in particular. And I would say that we're, we're not doing poorly, but I feel like our approach right now is essentially which one of us is less overwhelmed than the other one, and that's the person that will handle more of the things for the upcoming week. And then you know, the next weekend when we sort of sit and, and plan for the week and figure out like, okay, here are the planned things, here are the unplanned things that we need to schedule or figure out or whatever. Then it's just like, you know, every Sunday it's like, okay, like who, who is less overwhelmed? And that's the person that will field any and all unanticipated whatever. It's sort of like when you like 
plan a sprint and then work flies in from the side and you have to sort of like prioritize some things on the go. It's like, okay, who's, who is in charge of being the, of fielding all of those requests? Um, and we have not, we have not quite fallen into the, it's fine. Like we're handling it week by week, but we haven't quite fallen into a good way to do that yet. I mean, essentially it's who's the, who's the on-call parent. I, I'll say that there's an extra twist because as the, as the mom in a husband, wife, whatever relationship, even if we are both listed as caregivers and even if my husband is listed as the primary caregiver in some places, I am always the one that gets the emails and stuff. So it's a little challenging because even if he's the on-call parent, I have to make sure that I'm on top of like email or phone or whatever. It's like forward things along to him, which is incredibly frustrating. But yeah, it's essentially who's the on-call parent. I feel that that happens in two mom situations too. One of us just is the point and has to forward everything to the other. <laughs> That's good to know. Makes feel a little better. It happens in two mom situations too. <laughs> I thought about it a little bit in terms of almost applying prioritization skills. I feel I've mostly learned through work for personal life here in a way, which is just like meditating on and coming to accept we can't get everything we want. There's just too much. We are not capable and like not, not feeling personally bad about that as much as I can. Like that's just the situation. We, we can't do every, we can't do, we can't have everything that we want and it sucks. Sometimes I feel like I have to let my inner toddler like lie on the ground and cry about it for a while. But given that, do we feel like where we are putting our energy and resources towards like, does that feel like it lines up with our values for what's most important so if i'm ranking all of the things like do we feel like we're generally aligned with where we where we are are spending and where we would want that to see and unfortunately how far down the list we can go is just kind of cut short but do we feel good about where things are going now at least and does that need to be rebalanced which is like kind of a semi-constant thing but i feel like that that's helped me think about things because like you often get advice of oh like let a lot of things go and there's i i personally have a lot of internal resistance to anyone who tries to tell me like oh you should just like lower your standards i just can't wrap my mind around it but if i'm more just like okay i'll just i'm starting from the top and i'm going down my list as far as i can and when i can't i'll just stop there like that feels more doable so interestingly, a theme that I'm hearing across th- those answers is this concept of like planning and reflection that is so easy to wrap into your work life because you know it's the best way to run teams is, is make sure that you, you take the time, preserve time for planning and reflection because without it, you're always going to be behind the eight ball on something. And then at home, I'm always behind the eight ball on something and I never take time for planning and reflection because that's who, who does that? That's, that's, feels like discipline I don't possess, but for some reason I'm able to do it when it's my professional obligation. So I, that's something I think I would like to take away from this is, is think about, okay, when, when is that? When is our moment for planning and reflection? When do we think about what we have in front of us and what we, what, and, and what we've, what we've done and what was too much and what we can address and what we should let go of? That's, that's really good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Just call me up. Yeah. I totally, I can't relate to that. So. So much finding that time. I, I feel like I've identified it for a while and I still haven't come up with quite the, 
routine or the right method that works for me to like have that reflective time because you definitely need it. Yeah, and, and your coworkers aren't literally climbing all over you, so that helps. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that might be part of it. And you can't think to reflect because they have another why question about the universe that needs to be answered. We had an episode to plug our own podcast. We had an episode a few months back about for someone who applies Scrum processes to their personal life. It was pretty involved. It sounded like like Trello board, biweekly retro, I think which was pretty cool in our household. I've, I've mentioned before, I think that when we need to, we will have evening stand up with an agenda doc. We can both add to during the day. Mainly it's so that I don't send my husband like 15 different emails about questions I would like answers for from him. But yeah, constantly tweaking and iterating on all our processes. Yes. So with the question of, you know, are we happy with where, spe- where we're spending time and whatnot, I would like to move into genius and fails because boy, do I have a fail around that. So we are going to move into the segment of our podcast where we talk about genius and fails. So things that have happened in the last week or two uh, related to parenting that are genius moments, things that went really well or fails, things that did not go so well. I am happy to go first. So I have a fail and it is again we were sort of like I don't know week to week like just figuring it out I mean fortunately my kindergartner is he's pretty okay at, at virtual school however I have not been paying that much attention to virtual school and earlier this week I had a morning that had less meetings and so for the first time in probably maybe since like the second week of school or something, I was like, okay, I'm just like, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to, you know, to to what's going on and how he's participating and just, you know, flow of the class and whatnot. And I definitely learned that I had not been paying enough attention. And it's, it's not a bad thing. But but there were there were a few things basically, like, from paying more attention, and, and I wasn't like sitting in the room with him, but just, you know, like, checking in and he's little so we actually still have like the monitor in his room which is very convenient but all these like puzzle pieces of things came together in terms of like his attitude towards reading in the last couple of weeks and like things that I think in class are like moving at a pace that he still needs to catch up with and anyway he has this like independent reading center time every day and we have completely adjusted what the activities will be for that reading center time and just in terms of following up and making sure that he's like writing words and like reading and whatnot and so it just felt like a had an enormous amount of mom guilt after watching that morning because I was sort of in like ignorance is bliss zone and I was just like okay I have to and then and then I went into like oh my god I have to fix this and then I tried to be kind to myself and then I created like a realistic timeline for like putting some things in place that would like be more effective and anyway it was a whole mess of emotions for a full like 24 to 48 hours but it was a fail. It felt, it felt like a fail. Still feels like a fail. Yeah. I can go next. I have a genius. My brother and his family live out in Denver. 
and they really wanted to come out and visit us this fall like they usually do. But with the pandemic, you know, that's sort of complicated, as well as just having enough space. You know, my brother has three kids, and we have another one since they last stayed with us, and now all the kids are, you know, bigger. I guess they grow, is what I'm told. Anyways, we came up with the uh, genius idea of them driving up here and bringing their camper, which they kept on our driveway all week, and so we had tons of space for the kids, and they're all nice and separated at bedtime and whatnot. It worked out really, really well. And, you know, the added moment, genius moment here is that while our two families quarantine and social distance, you know, really responsibly, especially leading up to last week, our parents, well, I wouldn't say they're completely irresponsible, but they're certainly not as strict. So for us to feel really comfortable getting together as a family, we came up with all sorts of different plans for spending like a ton of time outside, you know, and spread out with masks and whatnot when we were with my parents and we had the added idea of like using a propane fire pit outside to allow us to be outside because i live in minnesota it's getting colder outside in the fall anyways it was just a really successful kind of genius week of different ideas to to make family time work with all of the kids five kids and the pandemic who's next i can go next i have a i would call it a mini genius so my daughter has these two toys that she absolutely will not go to bed without. It's like a little bottle that belongs to one of her dolls and a small stuffed unicorn. And she needs to have those two items in the bed with her or else she will not go to bed. And there was one evening where we couldn't find both of them. And it turned out to be just a, just a night of she waking up and remembering she didn't have them and then crying for 30 minutes and then, you know, repeating the whole thing over again, like in two, two and a half hours. Anyway, so and then we finally found them. And that was a very happy hour indeed. Very, very happy. And so I came up with the idea to after she goes to bed with the items, I'll take them out of her bed and hide them and I told myself if she wakes up in the morning and she cries for him, then it's not going to work. But she didn't. She woke up and it was like they didn't even exist. And so I figured out, okay, I can keep doing this. And that way, make sure that she always has these two items come bedtime. So that's it. Nice. My son has a couple of stuffies that he really loves. And that's why I totally understand that. I have a follow-up. Question mark, genius, question mark. <laughs> So a couple episodes ago, I was on here talking with uh, Chris Sexton. I mentioned, like, oh, so much screen time, Minecraft, Minecraft. And Chris is like, well, you know, this is like Legos for the kids these days. Maybe we should try it. And I was like, I'll try it. (laughs) (laughs) So my son and I have started to play Minecraft together. And he is over the moon. And he keeps talking about all these things he wants to build, all these things he wants to make. And that's really exciting. But it's become maybe a little bit of an obsession. So I think time will tell if this is truly a genius or perhaps a fail. (laughs) Those are the best. You're like, well, it could really go either way. I guess we'll see. My submission for this week is I am feeling pretty good about the open-ended play that we've been trying to foster for a very long time. I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole a couple weeks ago of there's like this bit of something subculture on Facebook, of course, of obsession with wooden toys made by a few particular brands, most of them based in Europe. And a bunch of these companies implemented geofencing a few months ago, meaning that 
U.S. customers should only buy from U.S. retailers and distributors of these brands, which has meant that a lot of them are constantly out of stock and like people are stocking the restock notices. Sometimes they go for way above retail. Like it's just, it's a whole thing. So I got into it because I've been meaning to get my, my son's been getting into wanting to build blocks and things. So as I looked into it more, I repurposed a notification rule that I had set up first initially for trying to snag tickets for the Olympics when we were planning that trip. That was obviously in the before times. Then more recently, I repurposed it for notices from our CSA because they have limited quantities to be able to order online for pickup at the farmer's market in order to get the good corn and things over the summer. And then now I, I repurposed it for snacking these fancy wooden toys. I managed to to get a few sets. I do feel kind of unfair. Like it, it, there is this unfair advantage because I'm, I happen to do a job where I'm on the computer all the time and I'm logged in to be able to pay quickly and all these sorts of things. So I'm wrestling with that, but it has been totally worth it for my kid because he has been initiating all these lovely games and you know serving us meals that he made with his blocks or saying that he's like going through the motions of doing laundry with those items and it's been really really fun to see that kind of open-ended imaginative child-led play blah 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 all those keywords i've been reading about for years being good for their development just seeing it come to life in front of us i'll go and so for for our family, I think lately I've been, I mentioned earlier that I've been having to be a lot more creative about things, right? We've had to, I've had to access parts of my creative self I didn't even remember existed in order to function in an environment where so many doors are closed. So most of our activities recently have been much more creatively done. I think I really like Chris's, Chris's point earlier about finding creative outdoor ways to do things and even something small. So here's a little tiny one where the the way that we would try to get together as family members over the holidays or or things like that is none of those doors are really open to us right now and and so we wanted to try to think of something cool to do for a holiday gift for our family and a thing that came up with was what if we could like take pictures of our kids in a few environments where they're doing the things that really capture who they are at their core in their personality and so my son who's super outdoorsy like a photo of him climbing a rock and a photo of him like you know, ollieing on a skateboard and my daughter, who's more like me in a tub that's filled literally like entirely with stuffed animals and take photographs of them in their like natural habitats where my daughter has literal names for the 50 to 60 stuffed animals that, and we can't take any one of them because she will know which one it is and its name. And they're all in relationships of different kinds with each other. And so it's been fun to be able to feel a little more like creatively liberated to do to do things like that like i would never have thought of those types of things i would have been like you know that's not my domain and then something that's weighing on me today is you know, today's my son's birthday i didn't plan ahead well enough to find a way to incorporate his friends into his birthday i thought about it a couple of times and i dropped it and i was like i don't know how to how to safely and authentically incorporate his friends into a birthday like he doesn't you know i don't want to like drive him by and honking their horns and waving at him that didn't feel right to me and so instead of coming up with something even if it wasn't great i came up with nothing and so we'll have a nice birthday as a family but it's it's something that i wish i had another week to think about and do better at and that's mine wow those covid birthdays yeah 
All right. Well, thank you, Brandon, so much for joining us. If people want to find out more about you on the Internet, where might they look? I used to be a Twitter person that did a lot of Twittering, and now I don't so much because I I dislike anxiety and I don't know how to decouple those. But they can they can see my picture on Twitter and things I care about there. And then I have a website at brandonhayes.com. I haven't written in it in a while, but I do have some things that I've written in the past that I'm still proud of. And, you know, I'm perpetually writing the next five to ten blog posts at various stages that someday, just watch that space, something will pop up. Nice. And what's your Twitter handle? It's Teviking, T-E-H Viking. All right. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash parentdrivendev and rate us on iTunes. Thanks.